Have you ever noticed or thought about how inequality in all of its forms, well, it actually exists. For example, the top 1% of wealth in the United States owns 30% of the household wealth. And only a few companies out of hundreds or even thousands tend to dominate each of their respective industries. Now think about sports for a moment. What about Olympic sports? What separates the person who takes home the gold medal and the person who comes in at the middle of the pack is often just a few seconds on the clock. That's it. What ties all of these things together? Find out today on Stock Stories. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the Stock Stories Podcast. My name is Alex Mason, and I am your host and stock storyteller. On this show, we decode the business behind the stock in order to help you make better investing decisions. That's why we're here. And we also learn about mental models and investing principles in order to complement stock analysis. So thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you listening, whether you're a new listener, whether you've been here for a while, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode today. Now today, we're going to talk about a mental model. We're going through these different concepts, and if this is your first mental model episode or you just need a refresher of what that actually is, a mental model is an idea. It's a thought experiment. It's a kind of framework we can use in our minds to create principles for different situations. And they're immensely helpful, especially when it comes to being an investor, because so many times our emotions tend to rock us one way or the other, and we just want to do what we want to do, but we're not actually thinking rationally. So in order to help us combat our natural behavioral instincts, we can use mental models. And today we're going to talk about one such mental model. Let's go ahead and jump into it and talk about power laws. All right, let's talk about the mental model of power laws. And the way that these mental model episodes are structured are first, we'll talk about just the basic definition of what the mental model means, just to get an introduction to it. Then we'll look at an explanation of the concept in a little bit more detail. And then we will look at it from the investor's perspective. How will this mental model make you a better investor? Okay, so let's go ahead and start with the basic definition. Power laws are distributions of outcomes where one variable changes disproportionately with the change in another variable. I'll repeat that. Power laws are distributions of outcomes where one variable changes disproportionately with the change in another variable. Okay, let's explain that concept and break it down. So what does this really mean? Power laws, or you could think of them also as unequal distributions, are found throughout nature as they're found throughout business as well. 
You can look at things like population sizes, test scores, types of atoms in a molecule. They all have these things in common. They all have power laws in common. Now, let's take an example for a moment, a very brief mathematical example. And don't worry, there's no equations to memorize. You won't be tested on this. <laughs> Just imagine in your mind for me a square, a simple shape of a square. And this square is one meter in length by one meter in length. Now, what's the area of that square? Well, it's pretty easy, right? One times one equals one. It's one square meter. Now, imagine the square in your mind, and let's say that you increase the length of the square by another meter. Now, you have a square that's two meters long and two meters wide. Now, the area of this square isn't two square meters, right? It's four square meters. The area of the square increased by a factor of four, even though the length only doubled. Now, this is an example of the power law at work. Do you get it? You increase the length by two, but the area increased by four. The variable of area increased disproportionately to the increase in length. So that's one example. Now, this is just another way to look at exponential functions or compounding. If you go way back into the episode archives of this show to episode 49, we covered another perspective on this, which was the Pareto principle, or sometimes it's referred to as the law of the vital few or the 80-20 rule. It's very similar to that. Power laws, they're all around us. And I want to give another example just to bring it home to real life. So let's look at something like social media and let's look at a social media platform that we're all probably pretty familiar with, which is YouTube. YouTube is a social network that also happens to be the world's biggest search engine, second only to Google. So it's actually the world's second biggest search engine and coincidentally happens to be owned by Alphabet, which also owns Google. Now, how big is YouTube? How many channels do you think are on YouTube? Probably a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of channels on YouTube. As of 2020 data, there are over 38 million YouTube channels that exist. Wow, 38 million. Now, how do we break this down as far as number of subscribers? Do a lot of YouTube channels have very few subscribers or a lot or somewhere in the middle? Well, here's what I found. There are 20 million YouTube channels that have between 10 and 100 subscribers. So that's a lot, like 20 million have between 10 and 100. And so that just goes to show you just how many small YouTube channels are actually out there. There are 12 million YouTube channels that have between 100 and 1,000 subscribers. So as you go up the food chain a little bit to increase your subscriber count, the number of channels that exist with that amount of subscribers actually decreases a decent amount. You get to 12 million. But what about if we jump all the way to YouTube channels that have over 100,000 subscribers? Now that decreases the amount of channels that have that number of subscribers to only 230,000 channels that meet that requirement. So if you get over 100,000 subs on YouTube, you're in rare company. Now, what about over a million subscribers? I mean, that's a really high bar to hit. If you have over a million subscribers on YouTube, 
I think it's safe to say that you made it (laughs) from a social media perspective, right? Well, there's only 22 or so thousand channels that actually meet this requirement, 22,000. And then at the very, very top of the YouTube food chain, there are about 700 channels that have over 10 million subscribers. So what does all this mean? I just threw a lot of numbers at you, but we can clearly see that the number of channels with a large following, it decreases drastically as a threshold of subscriptions increases. So it's hard to be super popular on YouTube and viral on YouTube and attract a huge following because we see that there are very, very few YouTube channels that actually get hundreds of thousands or millions of people who actively subscribe to them. Now, what makes it even more interesting is research that estimates that just 3% of YouTube channels account for 90% of the viewing time on the platform. I mean, I think that's incredible. Just 3% accounts for 90%. So that means that 97% of YouTube creators are fighting for that remaining 10% of viewing time. Now, that's an example of a power law in action. You get a disproportionate result after a certain point once you change the variables. In this case, the variable is subscriber count. Once you get past a certain height of subscriber count or amount of subscribers, you become in rare company because there's very few, disproportionately fewer channels that you're competing with in that realm. So it's kind of an interesting concept and just a quick example from the social media side of things. But let's talk about you as an investor. Let's talk about the mental model in the context of investing. How can we put this knowledge into practice? So let's imagine that each YouTube channel is a company. And in fact, many YouTube channels are run by companies. And let's also assume that views and subscribers translate into revenue. Now, that's also true. A disproportionate amount of the dollars and attention that flows to these companies goes to those at the very top. Now, this is the exact same thing when we're talking about capitalism and talking about investing in the stock market. I mean, it's no coincidence that in nearly every industry that we've studied on the show, most of those industries are dominated by somewhere between two and five major players. Everybody else that tries to compete is fighting for a very small portion of the pie. (laughs) And let's give an example of this so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we've talked about beverage companies a lot on the show. We've had episodes on Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, and Keurig Dr. Pepper. And that last one was actually a three-part series not too long ago. Now, these three companies own 86% of the beverage market in the United States. 86% just between those three companies. The rest, uh, there's a couple other companies such as National Beverage and There's a few others kind of fighting for the remaining pieces of the pie. But if you want non-alcoholic carbonated drinks in the United States and you go to the store to buy them, probably 86% of the options are going to be from those three companies. They pretty much dominate. Now, this has decreased somewhat in recent years. I mean, it was around 89% market share around the turn of the century, but Wow, 86%, that's, that's huge. So what does this mean for me as an investor or you as an investor? As an investor, I'm thinking about two things. So number one, 
what is it about these companies that gives them a significant advantage? Now, the answer here, I think, lies in things like century-long branding and marketing campaigns and a fully built-out distribution system that's really hard to replicate. So that's where my mind goes as an investor. And then the second thing I'm thinking about is who are the companies that managed to get that extra 3% market share over the past couple of decades, right? And how are they able to do it? The market share of those three companies decreased from 89% to 86%. So something is happening. And it's not a huge amount by any means, but it is, I think, worthy of note. Who's actually taking the market share from these entrenched players? How are they able to do it? And the reason I'm asking these questions is because I think that that could be a clue to a powerful new entrant in the space, aka someone who is competing really well and might be worth looking at as a potential investment, right? If a company is able to take market share from an established player, then that's a sign that they're doing something well, and they're doing something well that's actually disrupting the space, something that the incumbent players aren't doing as great of a job at. So I think that's worthy of research in order to find out what exactly is going on here. Now, another way I think about this concept of power laws is in terms of the gains that you make as an investor in your portfolio. So not every investment you make in the stock market is going to grow as quickly or as slowly as the last investment you made. Now, I've purchased stocks that sometimes it immediately just shot up in value, seemingly as soon as I bought it, and that's a pretty great feeling. But I've bought other stocks that just, I bought it, and then it just kind of lingered in that price range and even went lower than where I bought it at. So even though I put an equal amount of money into some different stock positions, the results are highly unequal. But due to exponential returns in the stock market, the differences between those results, they actually get amplified. They become that much more apparent over time. So for example, if you put $10,000 into company A, $10,000 into company B, and then say a year later, company A has risen 10% and now it's at $11,000. But company B doubled and now it's worth $20,000. Well, that's a $9,000 difference after just one year. Now, if those companies continue to grow at their respective rates at 10% and the other one, say, keeps doubling every year and it's just an incredible investment, well, then the amount of money difference between those two positions is going to be astronomical because of how compounding works. So you're going to get some of your stock positions that are going to produce way better results than some of your other stock positions. And some of your stock positions will perform way worse than some of your other positions too. So you have very unequal results here. And actually the entire venture capital industry is built on this concept. You might have heard it referred to as portfolio theory. Now this is where a fund manager, they might invest roughly equal amounts of money into let's just say 20 different young high growth businesses. And these are businesses that, you know, they're not listed on the stock market yet. They're super small, but they're growing really fast and they have really passionate founders and maybe they're attempting to disrupt whatever niche or space they're in. So 
from the portfolio manager's perspective, they might fully expect 16 or so of these 20 companies to just absolutely fail and go bankrupt. Like they don't even expect them to return anything at all. In fact, they expect to lose their complete investment in these companies. And then out of those 20, maybe two of them will, will return a small amount of money and make a little bit for the investors. And then maybe two of them, maybe one or two will return 50 times or 100 times their initial investment, right? That's, that's what you're looking for is you're looking for that needle in the haystack, the one that's really going to make it, the next Twitter, the next Uber, whatever the case may be. Now, the fact that 16 out of the 20 completely failed and two out of the 20 didn't return much, that doesn't even matter much to the fund manager because the other two that were successful were so successful that they made up for all of the losses in the other investments. So that's kind of this portfolio theory and this concept of power laws where you have this really highly unequal distribution of results given a data set. So when you invest, consider the risks as always. But what I think we should do is look for companies with the real advantages. Look for the ones that are taking market share away from competitors or at least holding their ground. Look for the ones who are dominant businesses. Look for the ones that have a real shot at becoming dominant, even if they're not dominant yet. And in my opinion, this will make your investing life easier than just picking up shares of a company because you like the product or service they sell. And that's a big beginner mistake. Please don't ever do that. Know what you're investing in. At least have a fundamental idea of why you're investing in a particular company. And then also remember that you should expect a small handful of your investments to vastly outperform all of the others. I mean, this is how it's supposed to work. Think about Warren Buffett with Berkshire Hathaway. There have been many people who have analyzed his investments over the years, and what they found is a lot of Berkshire Hathaway's returns to investors have come from just a handful of some of his investments. Not all of Buffett's investments were amazing winners. In fact, it was just a small handful of them that had disproportionately great results and ended up dragging up the returns of the entire portfolio higher and higher to the point where it becomes an excellent track record. So keep this in mind. And as investors, we never know exactly how things are going to turn out, but our job is to tilt the probabilities in our favor as much as possible. That's all we can do, but it's everything that we should do. Try to find companies that are at the steepest part of the success distribution curve, again, if we're kind of thinking about it in mathematical terms, and gradually invest in them over time. Find those companies that are at the steep part of the power curve because those are the ones that are going to disproportionately increase the value of your portfolio and build you more wealth. So those are my thoughts on the power law and how we can apply that concept as investors. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. We're going to be talking about a new company, and we've been talking about the home building industry lately, so I feel another home building stock coming on. (laughs) But for more information on that, stay tuned, and we'll be back next Wednesday. Thanks.
The information presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.